morning, everyone. Apparently, there was a test being run today, and the test was to see how long it would take James to realize he had the wrong remote. And it only took 20 minutes. <laughs> so, good morning, everyone, and welcome to our Okay, big echo, and welcome to our um, continuing installment of Life of Jesus in Chronological Order. We will be doing some reading today, but I need to silence my phone first. All right. So as we uh, have stated in the recent classes is that we're looking at seven major sections of Christ Jesus's life as we look at his life in chronological order. And it is broken down into 154 events. And thus far, we've covered 15 of those events when we went through lesson one, uh, lesson two, I should say, which was section one. Uh, of the major events. So today we're going to be looking at events 16 through 22. And as we look at this, what we're going to attempt to do as we go through this is have some practical applications as well. So in the last lesson, last week, we began with, again, the first major section. And that was the period from right before his birth up until he was 12 years of age. So would you join me in prayer, please? Our blessed Heavenly Father, we love you and we thank you, Father. We thank you for each and every day that you allow us to awake, that you allow us, Father, to make that choice to honor you, to, to worship you, to glorify you and praise you. And Father, we know that each and every day as we look at our lives, we can see the numerous blessings you pour upon us as well. And Father, we pray that as we always come together to study your word, Father, that we will look for things that we can glean to use for ourselves that will help us individually grow as we go about the business of collectively growing. Father, we love you and thank you. These things we pray and thank you for in Christ Jesus' most holy name. Amen. There's, uh, as we look at the life of Christ Jesus in chronological order, and we look at the Bible and everything and the things that have been said back and forth and the things we read about, what we find is a lot of speculation from people of the things that took place between that point that we read, stopped at last week when Christ Jesus had turned 12 and he was at the temple, to the time when he was 30 and started his own, and started his personal ministry, I should say. He we know that he went home and he was with his parents. We know that. But, you know, the Bible doesn't really state anything of that much about what happened between 12 and 30. So because it didn't, there are some things we can think on, or, or you can even say assume, if you will, that Christ Jesus did and didn't do. Okay? So he did not perform miracles. He did not perform miracles. He did not use his divine powers. He did not teach or proclaim himself. He did not teach and proclaim his submission. But at the age of 30, 
we know that he basically packed up, left home to start his ministry. So we get to event number 16 of the 154. So what we find is he was living basically in an obscure, simple type of a life, and it ended. It ended at age 30 when he began his mission, his ministry, if you will, when he met his cousin, John the Baptizer, at the River Jordan. Now, when we look at this, then we're going to find seven events here seven events in this section as we look at the beginning of Christ Jesus' ministry. Event number 16, the preaching of John the baptizer. Now, when we look at the synoptic account of this, we see in Matthew chapter 3, verses 1 through 12, which we will be reading in a minute, Matthew chapter 3, verses 1 through 12, We can also see this in Mark chapter 1, verses 1 through 18, Luke chapter 3, verses 1 through 18, and John chapter 1, verse 28. So we turn our attention then to Matthew chapter 3, verses 1 through 12, and the Bible reads, In those days, John the baptizer came preaching in the wilderness of Judea, and he was preaching. That's James. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. For this is he who was spoken of by the prophet Isaiah when he said, The voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord, make his path straight. Now John wore garments of camel's hair and a leather belt around his waist, and his food was locusts and wild honey. Remember, he was Nazarite, so he wasn't consuming alcohol or meat. Then Jerusalem and all Judea and all the region about the Jordan were going out to him, and they, were, and they were baptized by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. But when he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees coming to his baptism, he said to them, You brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? But then he tells them something. Bear fruit in keeping with repentance. And do not presume to say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father, for I tell you, God is able from these stones to raise up children for Abraham. Even now the axe is laid to the root of the trees. Every tree, therefore, that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. I baptize you with water. I baptize you with water for repentance. But he who is coming after me is mightier than I, whose sandals I am not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His willowing fork is in his hand, and he will clear his threshing floor and gather his wheat into the barn. But the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. In this discussion of the future Messiah, when we look at what the Old Testament prophets were saying to us, they've described the person who would... Who would appear on the scene as a forerunner to our Lord and Savior Christ Jesus' appearing. We can also read about this in Isaiah chapter 40 at verse 3, as well as Malachi 3 at verse 1.
with his appearance, with his preaching, again, we talk about John the baptizer, John fulfilled the prophecy that was laid out for him. So John's message then was twofold. Number one was this right here. Repent of your sins and be baptized in order to symbolize, if you will, the cleansing of your souls and the coming of the kingdom of God. Number two, that his successor would come and he too would baptize but he would baptize with the Holy Spirit and with fire. Now, like always, <laughs> when you're preaching a message, people hear, right? And, and this is something we need to be aware of today. We will take a message out in, in the form of evangelism. Some will accept it. Some will reject it. Now, there are two groups here. Uh, you could say four groups, if you will. But there were two groups who accepted what was being said, and there were two groups who rejected it. Now, those who accepted the message, those were the ones who recognized their sinful ways, and at this particular time, they saw a chance to make things right with God. And we find that even the pagan soldiers came forth with this. And then there were those who were anxiously awaiting, if you will, the coming of the Messiah, and they saw John. They saw John as the one who was preparing the way. Now, I said there were two groups who rejected as well. Those were the ones, those who rejected were the ones who were confident in their Jewish heritage and rejected any change at all, any call at all to change. And then there were those who loved their sins. They loved their sins, and they refused to believe especially in a Jewish Messiah. Whatever the response, John got the, na- the nation's attention. He got the nation's attention concerning the coming of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Event number 17, the baptism of Jesus. We're going to continue reading in Matthew chapter 3, starting at verse 13, but we also see a synoptic account also at uh, Mark chapter 1, verses 9 through 11, as well as Luke chapter 3, verses 21 to 23. But going back to Matthew chapter 3, starting at verse 13, the Bible reads, Then Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to John to be baptized by him. John would have prevented him, saying, I need to be baptized by you, and you come to me. But Jesus answered him, Let it be so now, for thus it is fitting for us, for us, to fulfill all righteousness. Then he consented. And when Jesus was baptized, immediately he came up from the water, and behold, the heavens were opened to him. And he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and coming to rest on him. And behold, a voice from heaven said, This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. Now, baptism, when we think about it, even then, there was a, uh, it was a really a, a familiar religious rite, if you will. Because, you see, even among the Jews, because the priests would, would uh, clean themselves, if you will, before becoming priests. They would clean themselves totally before putting on their ceremonial robes. The new converts to Judaism would be uh, uh, cleansed as well. They would be circumcised and they would be washed. We know that John baptized with water 
and by total immersion, by putting them under the water, because the Jews required a cleaning of the entire body. Like circumcision, John's baptism was an expression of, of, of faith, if you will, in response to God's offer. In, in circumcision, the offer was to be counted among God's people. In John's baptism, in John's baptism, the offer was to give them forgiveness of sin. And we're going to find something different. Later in Jesus' baptism, what we find is a threefold offer here. Threefold. Number one, forgiveness of sin. Number two, the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. And number three, entry into the church. Jesus signals the beginning of his ministry by accepting the baptism of John. And you can ask the question, why? Well, let me give you four reasons. Number one, we just finished reading it in Matthew 3 at verse 15. To fulfill all righteousness. In other words, to respond to God's command for obedience. That is the righteous thing to do. Number two, to identify with sin. Now, now with this one right here, we have to be careful. Jesus had no sin. Jesus had no sin himself. But he took on the sins of the entire world with this act. And the fact that he acknowledged that there was sin there. And he identifies with sinners. In our case, we're not taking on the sins of the whole world. We're repenting of our own. We're repenting of our own. And number three, to separate himself from his old life. Baptism signifies death, as we read in Romans 6 and verse 3. And when we talk about death, and we're not talking about a physical death, we're talking about a spiritual death. We're talk about, talking about the separation of the, of the spirit and the flesh. Spiritual death. So what we find is that Jesus at age 30 is separating himself from his old life. And, is, and, it, and when I say his old life, what I'm talking about, and, and it was obscure, obscurity really in a submission to the Jewish law. And he's taken up a new life, if you will. He's taken up a new life where he's going about his public ministry. He is going about, he's showing his lordship and he's walking, uh, continuing to walk toward death and resurrection. No, I didn't say he was cleansed of those sins. I believe what I said was he took on those sins. He identified with sin. Let me make sure of what I said. Oh, there it is. I said to identify with sin. To identify with sin. Jesus had no sin himself, but he took on the sins of others so that his act, so that his so that this act, so that with this act, he acknowledges sin and he identifies with sinners. Uh, I see what you're talking about. I, I think that's a little bit differently from what we're talking about on the cross, but I could be wrong. I could be wrong. Anybody else have any thoughts on that? Yes. Mm-hmm. 
Yes. Okay. Got it. Is that? All right. Anyone else? Thank you. Uh, let me see. Number four. To fulfill prophecy. Isaiah 11 and verse 2. We read about the spirit of God like a dove. We'll get there in a moment. Isaiah 42 and verse 1. We read about the voice. So the prophet said that the Messiah would have the spirit on him. Again, we go back to uh, Isaiah 11 and verses 1 and 2. The prophet said that he would be pleasing to God. Isaiah 42, 1. So then, the, the new life, the new, this inauguration that we're talking about of Jesus' public ministry is confirmed and witnessed by God in two ways. Number one, we go to Isaiah 11 at verses 1 and 2. The heavens open and the Holy Spirit appears as a dove. This shows that Jesus received the gift of the Holy Spirit at this time as it came and rested upon him. Now, you all may have some different thoughts on that, do you? Okay. Um, So in his divine nature, when we think about Christ Jesus, he was equal with God. He was equal with the Holy Spirit. However, his human nature, because right now we're dealing with his human nature, received the gift of the Holy Spirit in order for him to to enable him to carry out his public ministry. Number two, God the Father speaks to confirm that Jesus is indeed the divine son and the one that he has sent, that he is the Messiah. Um, Now, there's uh, a note that was made, and this is how it goes. This is the only time this is the only time in the Bible that there is a physical manifestation of the Trinity. In that, and the way it was broken, broken down is so here. We have the Father, the voice. We have Jesus, the Son. And we have the Holy Spirit, the dove. And this scene also, we're told, um, is good at and provides a strong example, if you will, of those who reject the Trinity idea in the Bible. And, and the ones who basically reject that are the Jews, the Muslims, and the Jehovah Witnesses. Event 18. Jesus is tempted in the desert. Again, we refer you to Matthew chapter 4, verses 11. We're actually going to be reading Matthew chapter 4, verses uh, 10 and 11. Also, Mark chapter 1, verses, we're not going to read Mark chapter 1, verses 12 and 13, and we also see this in Luke chapter 4, verses 1 through 13. But I want to take us to uh, Matthew chapter 4, verses 10 and 11. Now, context. Prior to verse 11, we know that Christ Jesus, he had been baptized by John, and he was taken out into the desert He was led out into the desert by the Spirit. And there he was tempted by Satan. And Satan tempted him on three fronts. And each time Christ Jesus responded with the word of God. And then in the end, Christ Jesus just put it in a simple way. After he finished correcting him with the word of God, he said, be gone. Be gone. Uh, in the old, in King James, old King James, it says, get thee behind me, Satan. But what we find happened there when, when he said that, we see what the angels 
did concerning Christ Jesus. So we go to uh, Matthew chapter 4, verse 10. The Bible says, Then Jesus said to him, Be gone, Satan, for it is written, You shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. Then it says in verse 11, Then the devil left him, and behold, angels came and were ministering to him. Question. We hear the word tempt all the time, right? You tempt and tempt and tempt, and we hear it all the time. What are your thoughts when you hear that word tempt? I'm tempting Stephen. What are your What are your thoughts when you hear that? Yeah, go ahead. Yeah, I'm trying to get you to do something you shouldn't do. That's it. That's it. Yes. What's that? Leading me to destruction. Yeah. All right. So Satan tempts Jesus while he's fasting in the desert. We know that. The word tempt can mean to test. It can mean to examine rather than just appeal to some lust or some evil. Let's keep that in mind. So since Jesus had no sin, the devil's test was to create sin in Jesus in some way. So what does he do? He tempts him to pride by asking him to do a miracle to prove his lordship. In other words, turn stones into bread. That didn't work. Then he tempts him to idolatry by offering him something in exchange for him worshiping him. In other words, I give you all the kingdoms of the world if you worship me. That didn't work. Then he tempts Jesus to presumptuousness by uh, him and by doing something uh, to test God. In other words, throw yourself down from this tower and see if God will come save you. Now think about this, what he was offering. First of all, God the Father had already said, or rather given to Jesus, all of these things. He called him my beloved son. So there was no need for any other confirmation to be done. God the Father had already promised him everything when we look in in Psalms 2 and verse 8. So Satan was offering Christ Jesus something he didn't even have. He couldn't even, didn't even have the power to give. And finally, God the Father had promised in the word that was quoted by Satan that he would care for his son. Again, there was no need to put God to the test. And after this event, and, and sometimes I think weird. <laughs> and after this event, the angels minister to the Lord. And when I say sometimes I think weird, I think it can happen with us the same way. When someone is tempting us and we make that proclamation, get thee behind me, Satan, <laughs> that the angels come and minister to us as well. I could be wrong. But I like that thought because I like that thought because of this right here. Just as we see the example of Christ Jesus telling that, telling Satan to get away from him, we need to tell Satan to get away from us too. Now, that's a catch. Christ Jesus was dealing with Satan face to face. We deal with Satan in the form of mama, daddy, sister, brother, children, best friend, wife, husband, you name it. Because Satan used each and every one of those to approach us. 
So when we're saying get thee behind me, Satan, we're not calling our relatives Satan. We're telling them Satan is using you to get to me. And we have to tell them to go. Satan, you got to go. And I truly believe we are ministered to. That's just James' thoughts. Any thoughts on that before we move on? Okay, uh, event number 19, John's witness concerning Jesus. I want to take us here to John chapter 1. John chapter 1, verses 15 through 34. And the other day when we were, uh, Thursday night when we were in the class, we were talking about how um, people doubt uh, and how John, the baptizer, doubted. And we look at all of this stuff that John should, like, I think Tony brought this up. John, John knew all of this. I mean, he was there for this. He was there for this. He saw that. He saw that. And even he doubted. And even he doubted. So it tells us something. We're in the year 2023. We're going to doubt too. We're going to doubt too. But we need to go back to our faith and we can overcome that doubt. So uh, John chapter 1 verses uh, 1 through 15. The Bible reads, I'm sorry, 15 through 34. The Bible reads, John bore witness about him and cried out, This was he of whom I said, He who comes after me ranks before me because he was before me. For from his fullness we have all received grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, the only God, who is at the Father's side. He has made him known. And this is the testimony of John. When the Jews sent priests and Levites from Jerusalem to ask him, Who are you? He confessed and did not deny, but confessed, I am not the Christ. And they asked him, what then? Are you Elijah? He said, I am not. Are you the prophet? And here they're referring to Moses. He said, he answered, no. And so they said to him, who are you? We need to give an answer to those who sent us. What do you say about yourself? He said, I am the voice of one crying out in the wilderness. Make straight the way of the Lord, as the prophet Isaiah said. Now they had sent. <clears throat> now they had sent. Now they had been sent from the Pharisees. They asked him, "Why then are you baptizing if you are neither the Christ nor Elijah nor the prophet?" John answered them, "I baptize with water, but among you stands one you do not know. Even he who can- comes after me, the straps of whose sandals I am not worthy to untie." These things took place in Bethany across the Jordan where John was baptizing. The next day he saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is he of whom I said, After me comes a man who ranks before me because he was before me. I myself did not know him, but for this purpose I came baptizing with water that he might be revealed to Israel. And John bore witness. I saw the spirit descend from heaven like a dove, and it remained on him. I myself did not know him, but he who sent me to baptize with water said to me, He 
on whom you see the Spirit descend and remain, this is he who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. And I have seen and have borne witness that this is the Son of God. The Apostle John's Gospel, and I have to say it this way here because you're going to hear John twice and I don't want to get it mixed up. The Apostle John's Gospel provides a detailed summary of John the baptizer's preaching and the reaction of the people, especially the leaders. John chapter 1 verse 15 shows that John the baptizer was aware of and preached that Christ Jesus was the one he was preparing the way for. He was preparing the way for the Messiah. And when we look at this, So when we look at this, what we find is this. There is no ambiguity at all. It is a clear message. John testified about Christ Jesus. John was the one who was crying out about Christ Jesus, saying, This was he of whom I said, He who comes after me has a higher ranking than I, for he existed before me. Now, when we think about this, and we just read it as well, just in case we weren't certain, when we think about this, this also shows that John the baptizer shared in the experience of the voice of the Father and the settling of the dove upon him. This was the way that John the baptizer knew that Jesus was indeed the Messiah. And it had a great impact on the people. It had a great impact on the leaders to the point that even what John was doing, it caused their curiosity to rise, if you will. What did we just read? Some thought that he was Christ. Some thought that he was Moses, who they expected to be resurrected uh, when the Messiah came. Some thought that he was Elijah. But when we look at all of this, what we find happening is this. In all of those, they were throwing out there at John, Christ Jesus, Elijah, Moses. John denied being all of those. He simply said, I am the voice that was sent to prepare the way. Nothing more, nothing less. Event number 20. Jesus' first apostles. We want to stay in John chapter 1. We want to go verses 35 through 42. So event number 20, John's first, uh, Jesus' first apostles. Verse 35. The next day, again, John was standing with two of his disciples, and he looked up at Jesus as he walked by and said, Behold, the Lamb of God. And just think about this. John's disciples heard him say this. The two disciples heard him say this, which is what it said, and they followed Jesus. Jesus turned and saw them following and said to them, What are you seeking? And they said to him, Rabbi, which means teacher, where you stand? He said to them, Come and you will see. So they came and saw where he was standing, and they stayed with him that day for it was about the tenth hour. One of the two who heard John speak and followed Jesus was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. He first found his own brother Simon and said to him, We have found the Messiah, which means Christ. He brought him to Jesus. Jesus looked at him and said, You are Simon the son of John. 
you shall be called Cephas, which means Peter. So what do we see? We see John not getting caught up in pride. John not getting caught up in self. John not getting caught up in celebrity, if you will. Because when he saw Christ Jesus coming, what what did he do? He basically introduced Christ Jesus to his disciples. And he was, in essence, encouraging his disciples to follow Christ Jesus. Now, when we look at the... the, the, um, the establishment of the apostles, of Christ Jesus' apostles, we find that he did not do it all in one day. He did not do it all in a week. We find that they came in twos. They came in threes over a period of months. Some like Peter uh, who came, he continued to manage his business of fishing and then till Christ Jesus said, no, it's time to stop that and go to full-time ministry. So he gave up the business. In the event with, with Andrew here, what we find is that he calls his brother Simon to come and and meet with Jesus. So it's during these meetings, of course, as we said earlier, that Jesus gives Simon his new name, and that is Peter. Event number 21, we see more disciples in Galilee. We want to stay in John chapter 1. We want to go to 43 through 51. John chapter 1, verses 43 through 51. The next day, Jesus decided to go to Galilee and found Philip and said to him, follow me. Now, Philip was from Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and Peter. Philip found Nathanael and said to him, we have found him of whom Moses in the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Nathanael said to him, can anything good come out of Nazareth? I love Philip's response. Philip said to him, come and see. Jesus saw Nathanael coming toward him and said of him, Behold, an Israelite indeed, in whom there is no deceit. Nathanael said to him, How do you know me? Jesus answered him, Before Philip called you when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. Nathanael answered him, Rabbi, you are the Son of God. You are the King of the Jews. Jesus answered him, Because I said to you, I saw you under the fig tree, do you believe? You will see greater things than these. And he said to him, Truly, truly, I say to you, you will see heaven open and the angels of God descending, ascending and descending on the Son of Man. Andrew and Peter were probably, were probably uh, in the region near uh, John when he was to hear John preach, I should say. And that's when they saw and met Jesus. But we find that after their meeting there, Jesus returns north to the area of Galilee, uh, near the area where he grew up and also where Peter and Andrew were from as well. Now, while he was there, John says that he finds Philip, and in turn, Philip finds Nathaniel, and, and it goes from there. So at this point... For all of them, the concept of what the Messiah is supposed to do is not fully developed. Not yet. They're still working on that. But Jesus, through his miracles, Jesus, through his teachings, and especially his resurrection, he will not only open their eyes, he will also open their hearts. So we bring, come now to event number 22, first miracle at Cana. Let's go to John chapter 2. Verses 1 through 12. 
On the third day, there was a wedding at Cana in Galilee, and the mother of Jesus was there. Jesus was also invited to the wedding with his disciples. When the wine ran out, the mother of Jesus said to him, they have no wine. And Jesus said to her, woman, what does this have to do with me? My hour has not yet come. His mother said to the servants, do whatever he tells you. Now there were six stone water jars there for the Jewish rites of purification, each holding 20 or 30 gallons. Jesus said to the servants, fill the jars with water, and they filled them up to the brim. And he said to them, now draw some out and take it to the master of the feast. So they took it. When the master of the feast tasted the water now become wine and did not know where it came from, though the servants who had drawn the water knew, the master of the feast called the bridegroom and he said, and said to him, Everyone serves the good wine first, and when people have drunk freely, then the poor wine. But you have kept the good wine until now. This the first of his signs Jesus did at Cana in Galilee and manifested his glory and his disciples believed in him after this he went down to Capernaum with his mother and his brothers and his disciples and they stayed there for a few days it's interesting how we look at this but Mary did what a mother would do Son, I know you can do this. Help. Um, But Jesus let her know that I will do what God directs me to do, not what my mom asked me to do. Now, the question might be, why is John the Apostle giving us all this detailed information? Well, I didn't really realize this when I was doing this study, was that John the Apostle and Jesus were cousins because Mary was John the Apostle's uh, aunt, and it's thought in some circles that um, this is probably why um, when Christ Jesus was on the cross and he said, woman, behold your son, and he was talking about the apostle John, that uh, that's why he wanted John to take care of Mary rather than Peter. So, here's the question. So Jesus has finished his his ministry there at Galilee, and he goes and he leaves, but he's going to come back later to Jerusalem. But let's turn our attention to the lessons from this. So, so we can draw three practical lessons from uh, these events in Jesus' life, especially in the area of evangelism, especially in the area of evangelism. We see some of the ways that Jesus drew people to himself, ways that are still relevant today, ways that are still possible today. Lesson number one, preach Jesus as Lord. Preach Jesus as Lord. The first thing Jesus did was demonstrate who he was by the witness of the Holy Spirit and the Father. Today, the first thing that we should do is establish in, in establishing our study, even in establishing the debate, that we are going to go by the fact that the Word says that Jesus is the divine Son of God. And if the two in the debate or the study can agree on that, then it's good to go on. But if one can't agree on that, what's the point? What's the point? There isn't any. 
Lesson number two, the importance of obedience. We discuss the Bible a lot, a lot, yeah, but the Bible is not for discussing. The Bible is for obeying. And when we're studying and teaching people about God and the Word of God, we should be teaching them to produce obedience, not just so that they can have more knowledge. Not just so that they can have more knowledge. God not only wants us to hear the good news, God wants us to to be obedient to the good news as well. Before I show you number three, I got a question. We want to save the world. Where do we start? We want to save the world. Where do we start? Hmm? At home. Can you get more specific than that? Can you get more specific than that? Ah, Yourself. (laughs) Yourself. Do not walk to me talking about preaching me the gospel and ask you, you a Christian? No. Well, why are we having this conversation? Why are we having this conversation? It starts at home, yes, in the sense that it starts with, you know, we talk about the family members and the people in and around and stuff like that, but it goes like this right here. Saving the world begins by saving yourself first. Save yourself first, then your family, then your neighbors, then your buddies, et cetera, et cetera. But we got to keep this in mind. Remember all this preaching that John the baptizer was doing? And remember all the preaching that Christ Jesus was doing? You still had those who accepted, and you still had those who rejected. Today in 2023, when we're going about the business of, preach, of evangelizing, we're going to have those who accept, and we're going to have those who reject. Some of them are going to be family Some of those are going to be friends. Some of those are going to be neighbors, I should say. Some are going to be buddies. And the list goes on and on. Let me tell you something about effective evangelism. Effective evangelism is not about programs. It's not about projects. We have a lot of good programs. We have a lot of good projects here at Anchorage Church of Christ. We have camp. We have ladies' uh, retreat, men's retreat. We have lectureship going on. We have VBS. We have those events that we did like on that Friday night. That's all great stuff for us, but it's not an effective evangelism tool. Effective evangelism is us sharing the good news with people up close and in person. Too many times we, we think that we can evangelize someone at a lectureship or at a, or at camp or at, or, at, uh, or at a men's retreat or something like that. But that's a, that's a, sh- a short one-time event, in a sense, for that year. But every day we get the opportunity to meet family members. We get the opportunity to talk to neighbors. We get the opportunity to talk to, to, to people we meet. And, and when we look at our congregation here, uh, something Tony gave me some information the other day. Last Sunday, I think it was last Sunday, he was telling me 163 people for morning service. That's in person and online. Less than that at evening service. A few more on Wednesday. And I think Brother Stephen at the meeting last Saturday mentioned this right here. We look at one time at Anchorage Church of Christ, we were 500 strong. Now look where we are. What has changed? Evangelism. The elders be- before Tony and I, we, we, we brought numerous evangelism tools to the congregation for us to use. 
we, we, I didn't say I, we, I didn't say you, we are not using them. Why? Because we are not in our community talking to people about Christ. Mission support is great, but, you know, helping people become Christians in Africa is great. But what about those right here in Anchorage around us? There are people that are not associated with any church at all in this town. And those are the ones we can approach. I'm not talking about going up the street to the one on the corner trying to, make, trying to force those people to come down this from up there, down here. I'm talking about people that's not going any place. We work with people every day that don't go to church any place. We, we play with people every day that don't go to church any place. We meet people at the stores that don't go to church any place. That's evangelism, and that is what we need to get back to. Those are the lessons for today. Preach Jesus as Lord. Preach the importance of obedience and start at home. Thank you all for joining me today.